Well, hey, and welcome to New Life Dresher's virtual worship service. My name is Anthony Gamage. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, where we exist to know Jesus and to make him known. Uh, if you are new here and we have yet to connect, I would encourage you to just uh, simply text the word connect to the number uh, at the bottom of your screen. We would love to uh, touch base with you and see how we can pray for and serve you uh, in any way. And if you are new here, just by way of fair warning, this uh, week is our final sermon in a sermon series that we've been going through since February on the book of Deuteronomy. And so, um, you know, hang in there. You'll probably hear things referred to that uh, preceded this, and, and that's okay. Uh, and we would love for you to join us next week as we begin our study for the summer through the book of Second Corinthians. Well, as we jump into this book, this is, this is the last sermon on the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, as we opened it up, uh, as I was reflecting on it, uh, you know, we, we called it uh, a, a sermon by Moses to his people as they were living life on the boundary between the plains of Moab uh, and in between them or what separated them from Canaan or the promised land was the Jordan, right? And so they were getting ready to step into the unknown. And I apologize for all of you parents who are now singing or your children are singing Frozen too, but, but I digress. Let me read you a, 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 um, a quote that I read you at the outset uh, of this sermon series. Chris Wright says this, Deuteronomy is a book on the boundary, speaking powerfully through the ages to every generation of God's people, called to move across the ever-shifting boundary from past experience of God into future unknown circumstances. Now, here's the crazy part about all of this, is that I thought... <laughs> The unknown circumstances that we were going to face were kind of the simple, mundane, everyday, unknown circumstances, right? Uh, moving from junior high to high school or different phases of parenting, uh, moving jobs, maybe moving cities, but, uh, and those are significant. But little did I know that right in the middle of it, there would be a pandemic. There would be enormous loss of life, loss of income, loss of celebrations of, of major life events that all of a sudden we would be doing church like this, digitally, in different rooms, depending on the week. But as I've also reflected on this book, I've been struck by how, how, how applicable it is. How God's people throughout this have been governed by grace, chosen, redeemed, given the gift of the promised land. They've been, that they've been promised that they will be remembered despite future failure. They've been told over and over again, hey, as you go into the unknown, it is critical that you remember the character, the holiness, the goodness of your God, or else you'll stray. We've seen the practical, right? God is saying, here's how you love me. You, you keep my commands. And, and he basically whittled all the commands to two. Love the Lord your God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. And we spent many weeks looking at the practical outworkings of that. We saw uh, aspects of how we interact with power structures. We saw how God desires to preserve life. We saw how God wanted to undo poverty. And, and are there more critical topics today than what we are finding in the book of Deuteronomy? We see the pictures of, of blessing and cursing and the importance and life and death realities of, of faithfulness to God and not running uh, after other lovers. Well, finally, the last couple of weeks and, and headed into today, as we wrap up, we see a sketch of the future hope for God's people. Last week, we started uh, looking at Moses' song, and today, we're going to see the death of their leader, Moses. 
Now, if you know me and you've heard me preach before, uh, you've probably heard me make mention of a, a musical that I love called Hamilton, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda after he read a book by Ron Chernow about Alexander Hamilton. He said, hey, somebody's got to write a hip-hop musical about this. And so we did. Now, I think part of the reason I love the musical so much is because you know Miranda is my age and he was influenced by the same 90s hip-hop culture that I was. So when I heard all these songs, I'm thinking, I know that song. That song sounds like this song, right? But there was one song that, that continually grips me every single time I hear it, and it's called One Last Time. It's George Washington's goodbye. It's an interaction between Hamilton and Washington as, as Washington decides after 45 years of service to the country not to run for another term as president. Uh, and he's also articulating that, that he sees himself aging and, and getting ready to die. And so he says, hey, sit down, have a drink with me one last time. And Hamilton's like, no, you can't, right? He's fighting him every step of the way. And, 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 and the refrain that Washington keeps saying is, we're going to teach him how to say goodbye. Well, as I thought about this passage all week, uh, I could not get this song out of my head because what this is, is it's, it's Moses' goodbye. You know, Moses was there, George Washington. These are his final words. It's actually recording his death. And so in a way, he's teaching Israel how to say goodbye. So as we hear from Moses one last time, we hear similar refrains on his lips uh, that we've seen throughout the book of Deuteronomy where he is pointing his people to loving obedience to a loving God. And so today we're going to see uh, his, uh, these final pictures of Moses depicting three things. Uh, it's depicting his final frailty, his final words, and then the final viewpoint that he has as he dies. And so let me read for us Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 48 to 52. If you have your Bibles, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 48 to 52, it reads like this. It says, That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up to this mountain uh, of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Let me open us in prayer as we get going today. Well, Lord, will you open the eyes of our hearts to hear your word? As we hear uh, from Moses one last time in this book, Lord, I pray that you will show us that you are a loving God and that this will spur us on to loving obedience and faithfulness to you. So Holy Spirit, will you speak in and through me and will you uh, impact every single one of the hearts of those who hear this whenever and wherever they hear it. So we love you. Thanks for this time in your name. Amen. Well, let's look at this picture of final frailty that we see here at the outset. We, we, we really venture upon this text as a very somber scene, don't we? God's saying, go up to the mountain because you're going to die there. And, and, and we see that there's actually a reason why he is dying here and not on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land. In verse 51, he says it pretty plainly. He says, uh, because, um, because you broke faith with me at Mirabah. 
Now, Mirabah, if you go back, you want to do a little bit of reading on it. It's out of Numbers 20. It's a place where God's people got grumbly again, which they uh, often did. Uh, God told Moses to, to speak to a rock so that water would come out. Uh, Moses, I don't know why, well, we're told why, but uh, once before he had struck a rock and water had come out. But for some reason this time when God said, hey, um, uh, speak to the rock so water would come out, he hit it with a staff. And God said, yeah, that's not what I told you to do. God's saying, because you did that, because you disobeyed me in that way, you're not going across the river. Now, if you're like me, you're probably reading that, and you're like, that, uh, is that an overreaction on God's part? And I get it. <laughs> totally get why you would ask that question. Here's what we know, right? Sometimes we can do outward actions, but God knows the deeper workings of our heart. And we hear God saying what exactly was going on in Moses' heart at that time. He's saying, you are breaking faith with me, and you did not treat me as holy. He's saying, you forgot I was God in that moment. In Washington's, uh, in that song, One Last Time, uh, Miranda beautifully weaves together part of Washington's farewell address that he says to the people as he leaves office. I'm going to read it to you because it strikes me in light of what we're talking about with uh, Moses' failure here. Washington writes, he says, Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it possible or probable that I may have committed many errors. I shall also carry with me. What Washington is basically saying is, is yeah, I'm not sure I knowingly did anything wrong, but he's saying, I guarantee you I committed a bunch of mistakes and I'm always going to carry those with me. And that kind of feels like the moment of what's happening up on the mountain between God and Moses. Now, if you pay attention to any leader, right, Washington, right? You give, a, give, give anybody a few hundred years to examine your life, they're going to find failure in your life, right? People have found it in Washington. He even admits it himself. If you're like me, uh, you may have watched The Last Dance, the documentary that recently came out by ESPN about the 1997-98 Bulls, right? And it doesn't paint always the most favorable picture of Jordan. It, and in fact, uh, outlines some of his failures, even in the church, I've talked about it in several sermons uh, where uh, you see time and time again, the leaders of God's people, pastors, right? Ministry leaders, abusing power, falling from grace, uh, taking their own life as someone who has had an impact on my life recently did a couple of weeks ago. Here's what we will um, unfortunately relentlessly see on this side of eternity is that leaders will always fail. Always. There's no perfect leader. Not even among God's people. Let's keep going. We see failure here, but, but did you see the hint of faithfulness? Actually, I think it's more than a hint. You see at the beginning where, where he takes them up on the mountain and he says, Go and look at the land of which I'm going to give your people that I've promised to them. Friends, here's what I want you to see. I read this and I'm like, man, that just, that's not right. God, you just took them out and kind of waved the carrot in front of them. And it's like, there's a land you can't go into. But, but if we've been reading Deuteronomy well, right? If you go back the last few sermons, you'll hear God saying, hey, I know you're going to go into the land and you're going to blow it. But I'm going to remember you and bring you out and I'll promise you a new and better covenant that we see in Jesus. And I will deliver you. So God is constantly peppered in grace towards his people amidst their failure amidst them receiving some of the covenant curses that will one day come. And, and, and God's graciousness doesn't all of a sudden evaporate in this moment. 
I believe him showing Moses the promised land isn't him saying, man, any boo-boo, you're not going to get it. It's him saying, we've come a long way. You're not going in, but look at what I'm giving your people. Look at what I am, I am, I am, I am. Look at the fruit of our labor together. The other reason I think it's gracious is because God didn't break relationship with Moses after he blew it. He didn't remove him from leadership. He could have been like, zap, next man up, here we go. But he kept him there. Here's some realities. Is that God, for whatever reason, chooses frail leaders to lead his people. Always. Always. Actually, I know the reason. I said for whatever reason. But, but it's because his grace and his power are shown most brilliantly in weakness. I was reminded of this this week, even in Psalm 77. It's this psalm of lament uh, where uh, someone's crying out to God, but then by the end, they're worshiping God and they're saying, hey, you led us down this crazy path that we didn't understand through the Red Sea. He's saying, we didn't even see your footprints in front of us. We, we couldn't figure out if you were with us or not. But then in retrospect, they said, but, but you led us like a little flock by the hand of Aaron and Moses. You led us. These frail leaders. You've seen it all throughout scripture. You will see it all throughout the rest of your lives that God uses broken people to lead his people. Here's the other thing we see in scripture is that leadership is received, not achieved. We live in this neurotic time of leadership. It's like you've got to create all your opportunities and you've got to read all these books and you've got to do this right and you've got to time manage like this and now you have to have mental health and now you have got It is exhausting. But in scripture, even guys like Moses, you know what you see? God's dragging him into the fray. Exodus 3, Exodus 4. I don't want to go, God. i got a speech impediment, right? But God gives him this gift of leadership. 1 Timothy, right? Chapter 3, you see this big passage on elders, but we usually miss chapter 1 where Paul says, hey, I'm thankful that God saw me faithful, but that's only happened because he gave me mercy even though I was this burned out murderer oppressing God's people. But he showed me mercy so that others may see his great power at work in me and they will come to repentance. That's how God operates. And it's so that we would see this, that there's only one true leader of God's people. After Moses, guess what happens? Joshua 1, it's like Moses died, period. Joshua, God continues to lead his people through different leaders throughout time. Gideon and Deborah and David and and Jonathan and Josiah. And ultimately it takes us to the one true king, Jesus Christ. Well, let's keep going. Second point, final words. Uh, Let's let's read Moses' final words. Right. So chapter 33, the first part of it is him uh, basically going to the tribes of Israel and blessing each and every one of them. But then at the very end, we see him say these words that aren't a blessing to any unique tribe. In fact, um, he is blessing the nation, but, but he's really blessing God. And these are the last words on Moses' lips. He says this in verse 26. There is no one like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies and his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are his everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, 
the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread on your backs, on their backs. So he addresses it to Jeshurun. You might be like, who's that? Well, it's a generic term for all of Israel, uh, which basically means upright one, right? And so he, in the faith, in the face of Moses' death, he is blessing God as he gives these final blessings to Israel. And here's what he says, just to sum up what he's getting at, because some of the language is weird. <laughs> Chapter 26 is saying, God is your help. Chapter 27 is saying, he is your eternal refuge and sustainer. That picture of him saying, God's big, everlasting arms are underneath you, holding you up. Verse 28, he's saying, God is your security and your prosperity. 29, he's saying, he is the source of all your joy. And, and, and the thing that really captured me this week is these were the last words on Moses' lips. When he knows he's going up to die, he knows he's not going into the promised land. Yet his heart is still full of praise for his leader and for his shepherd. There was a story of a big party where uh, a wealthy man said, hey, I'm going to gather a bunch of people together. He invited a famous actor. And then he invited this uh, old missionary to come. And there was one point where he asked uh, a couple people to recite Psalm 23. He asked the actor, he said, hey, recite Psalm 23 for us dramatically. And he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, and, and, he, and he goes into it and it's dramatic. And, and people at the end just applaud and, and they're just excited about what he did. And then he asked the old missionary to get up and, and to recite Psalm 23. And, and he did and it wasn't too dramatic. But, but by the end, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. So the actor goes up to the host of the party and he just says, hey, <laughs> they applauded at me, but they cried at him. Like, how does that work? It wasn't, it wasn't even that good, right? You know what the host said? He said, you knew the 23rd Psalm, but he knew the shepherd. Friends, what we see here in Moses' final words is that he knew his shepherd. Knowing the shepherd, his character, his heart, his grace, his holiness, his power brings hope and joy and confidence, even in our darkest times. It's, it's how Paul in Philippians 1 can say, while in prison, hey, if I live, then I'll come minister to you. And if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. So for me, to live is Christ and work for him. To die is gain. It's a win-win proposition. And Paul can say that because he knew his shepherd. The book of John tells us that the good shepherd is Jesus Christ. Friends, what I would say right now, we live in dark times. And if you're like me, Hopelessness can creep in very quickly these days. Now, we, we pray that the clouds break, but they may not for a while. And I think it is impressing upon us a more and more intense call than ever before. Not that it's ever not been intense, but to know our shepherd. Spend time with him in the Gospels so you can see how our shepherd interacts in a myriad of situations. We can know how God interacts in real life, because we have it recorded for us in the Gospels. Sit there. Meditate there. For me, something that's warmed my heart to stories that maybe have grown too familiar is uh, a show called The Chosen. It's an app that you can just download. I'm not saying it's biblically accurate. I'm saying there is definitely license taken. But I will also tell you that it has given me a different read as I read the Gospels, seeing things like Jesus smile. 
Maybe that'll help. There's a book that some uh, friends of mine have said, this has warmed my heart to the Gospels more, or to the Gospel more uh, than anything in recent time. And it's a book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. I just picked it up. I just started into it. But but friends, I'm just giving you um, some tools in our toolboxes in this time that feels hopeless, that feels dark, and, and recognizing that even in the midst of this, we can know our shepherd and be filled with joy. May we pray for each other that we do so. Because that is a work of the Spirit, right? Here's the third point. We're going to look at Moses' final view. Chapter 35, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read 1, 4, and then 5. But it says this. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan. Then skip down to 4. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So here it is. It's Moses' death. But in Moses' death, we see God bring him up on the mountain and give him his final view. It says he went up to Pisgah. Pisgah was what they called the peak uh, of Mount Nebo there. And, and as he's up there, God basically is just pointing out the dimensions of the promised land, saying, look, here it is, the future hope of God's people and of you. It's the promised land. Now, here's what I've discovered. Now, I haven't been there, right, to validate this, but what I've read a couple places is that you actually can't see all the dimensions of the promised land, even from the top of Nebo there. In fact, God was showing him a sliver or a vision of what was to come. And one author puts it this way. He said, God was showing him a vision perceptible only through the eyes of hope. You see, for Moses, this was his first fruit moment. You know what a first fruit is? We don't live in an agricultural society here, so it takes a little bit of explaining. But it's essentially uh, that first fruit, that first vegetable that comes after you've seen these plants grow that are a guarantee of a harvest that is yet to come. And so for Moses, as he's sitting up there getting ready to die, God is saying, here's your first fruit moment. This is the beginning guarantee of something greater that is to come of the hope that I am giving to Israel. So can I do something? Can I read Romans 8 or a section of it from uh, Moses' lens as he sits up on the mountain? I know these are Paul's words, but, but I want you to think like Moses, right? End of his life, sitting on the mountain with God, looking at this hope before him. And imagine these things stirring in his head. And maybe, even for you, as it feels like a dark time, read yourself into Romans 8 as I read it. But first 18 For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 19 to 21. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and that was Adam, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation is personified here, right? 
It's saying, hey, Adam subjected it to sin and, and, and the curse has impacted it on every blade of grass. And so for Moses, he's sitting up there in the middle of creation knowing that it needs to be redeemed, just like we do in the middle of a pandemic, right? Let's keep going, 23. But not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Paul's saying it's not just creation that's groaning, we're groaning. But then he says, but we've been given this first fruit, this promise of the Holy Spirit that's a guarantee of a, of, a, of, a, of a redemption, where we have our resurrection bodies in the eternal promised land that is to come. I just wonder what might have been going through Moses' mind in that moment. And I wonder, what if we let our minds pour into that moment and, and look ahead and wonder about that eternal hope and glory? And then finally, it says, for in this hope, sorry, yeah, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope... That is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Friends, Moses is looking at his eternal hope. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to be with people as uh, they pass from this life to eternal life. And and I say privilege is a hard privilege, but, but I have found them to be some of the most encouraging moments of my life. One of those moments was with a, a man who was a part of our church years ago. His name was Ed. And I went to visit Ed, and it was in his final days of life. And before I left, I'll often say, hey, is there a passage of Scripture you want me to read to you to encourage you, right, to remind you of the hope that we have? And he said, you know, and typically I get Psalm 23 or I get Romans 8, right? But he said, no, I want you to read Revelation 21 and 22, Okay. So I read it, and it it really uh, is made up of this picture of the new heavens and the new earth, which is really our eternity. Now, it's filled with a lot of measurements of the wall and stuff like that, so it was a little little weird for me to read it, but I did, and it took a while. But as I'm reading, I'm, I'm watching Ed's eyes, and I just see him drift off envisioning this future hope that's his. And at the end, he goes, isn't it beautiful? Friends, that was Ed's first fruit moment. Looking out to his future hope. And, and, and here's what I would just ask is, 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 could we now, not that we're on uh, the, the edge of death, Lord willing, right? I mean, we never know, but, but, but I'm not trying to be kind of fatalistic here. But, but in this moment that sometimes feels hopeless and dark, let me encourage us to take a first fruits moment. To think about what we've been given in the Holy Spirit and that guarantee, and, and even Jesus, who uh, his resurrection is a first fruit of a resurrection that is to come, and let our minds drift to eternity. Let's wrap up with this. There's a final obedience that we need to talk about, because at the end of this, you know what we see? Uh, we see this picture of Moses being uh, a guy, a prophet like none other. We didn't read it, but it's at the end of 34. And, and essentially what it's saying is, is nobody was closer to God, saw God like Moses saw. Nobody saw the works uh, go out from him, no other prophet like Moses did. Yet we know that Moses categorically failed. And we know that Israel, as we keep reading the rest of the story, 
fails to be obedient and faithful to God. They run after every other lover in the book. That's what the book of Hosea is all about. Well, if you fast forward to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, there is this story of Jesus in the wilderness. Before he begins his earthly ministry, he goes out into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's lonely. He's hungry. And the great tempter, Satan, comes. And he tempts him to disobey God the Father. Three times he does it, and Jesus responds three times with Scripture, right? Now, typically we say, hey, the, the point of this story is to memorize Scripture so that whenever we're tempted, uh, we can quote Scripture back at Satan. And that's not a bad application, but that's not actually what this story is about. Do you know what book of the Bible Jesus quotes all three times in response to Satan? The book of Deuteronomy. And guess what Jesus never did? He never disobeyed. He kept the covenant perfectly. You see, that story of Jesus in the wilderness signals to the reader who knows the story of Deuteronomy that Jesus is the true Moses. Jesus is the true Israelite. Now here's the kicker, right? As we've talked about a while back, we know uh, that if you keep the covenant, you're blessed. And if you break the covenant, you're cursed. But what doesn't make sense is that a little later on, we're going to read Paul in the book of Galatians essentially say, hey, Jesus actually received the curse on the cross. And he quotes Deuteronomy again, saying, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. What gives? Why on earth did Jesus receive the curse when he should have received blessing? Well, let me first say this. Our world is full of philosophies that tell us we will only be happy if we achieve. For certain generations and demographics, that achievement is if we achieve our own rightness or righteousness before God or before others, right? And so we work tirelessly to be the obedient one, right? We've already talked about we all fail. Every leader, every person who looks perfect on camera, we all fail to be perfectly right. For other generations, it's, hey, I need to achieve my freedom, to be open-minded, to get rid of the, the, um, the trappings of whatever philosophies or of religion or whatever it is. And so we tirelessly spend our days emptying our minds and, and, and just trying to find some, uh, you know, something in the ether to satisfy us in our freedom. For certain demographics, our achievement is our identity. I'm going to achieve my identity, right? Through whatever tribe I can find. And, and if you oppose my tribe, I'm going to beat you down. Right? We spend our lives exhaustedly trying to achieve. Here's what's happening here in the book of Deuteronomy and Galatians. is What we see is that the Christian faith is categorically different. You see, Jesus was the true Israel. He was the true covenant keeper. He should have received the blessing of the covenant, but instead he received the curse. And you know why? So that he could give us the blessing. You see, the blessing of the covenant is received. It is not achieved. We've seen that all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. We see it all throughout the New Testament. Blessing is received from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, 
we receive his righteousness. If we trust in him, we receive his redemption from slavery to that which which just absolutely has control over our lives. We receive the identity of being adopted sons and daughters of God, and we do nothing for it except rest in him and who he says he is. Just like the promised land is to be received by God's people in the book of Deuteronomy. And so, friends, as we stand on Jordan's stormy banks, as we look into the unknown, Deuteronomy calls us through Moses' final frailty and words and view to reflect on this loving God, to receive the grace that he offers us, and to move into the unknown in faithfulness and obedience. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, would you... Take these words, apply it to our heart. Help us to reflect on this book of Deuteronomy, such a rich book, but there's so much here. Help us come back to it time and time again. We thank you uh, for your goodness in this word and how it points us ahead and prepares our hearts for Jesus. Give us the hope that we saw Moses having as we've walked through this text today. And we love you. In your name, amen.